welcome to VB Engage, episode 35. My name is Stuart Rogers. I'm with VentureBeat, and I am joined as ever by the author of Digital Sense, the marketing technology genius that is Travis Wright. Travis, how are you doing today, my man? I am doing excellent. Thank you, Mr. Rogers. It's a beautiful day in the podcast neighborhood, as usual. Always a joy <laughs> to be on the show with you 35 episodes in it's as if we've uh i don't know put some sort of process together and it's it, we've got it all slick and everything yeah, we got a process down i mean it's really really an honor to do a podcast with you each week knowing now that you are uh as someone has recently told you the denzel washington of marketing <laughs> technology so i just want to say i am so so honored to be here with you <laughs> and I still can't work out exactly why they called me that. Um, I don't think it's because I look like him. In fact, <laughs> it can't possibly be. You're identical. Um, you're like <laughs> you're like, like the opposite of him. Like <laughs> it's like looking in the mirror. It's like looking in the mirror. At least he didn't call me the Arnold Schwarzenegger of marketing technology. He's uh, he's he's taken over on the Celebrity Apprentice uh, from from Donald Trump, right? So he he's the guy in the big seat. He is, have you, he is. Have you heard the way that he gets rid of uh, celebrities that don't do well? I was trying to guess what it was going to be prior to the show. Me and some friends were going back and forth about what it possibly could be, and I was close. But uh, what is it actually now? So instead of uh, Donald Trump saying, you're fired... He's the best at firing, obviously. Yeah. Um, you know, nobody does firing no, like nobody him. Nobody does at, firing better than me, I can, I can assure you. I'm tremendous at firing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, no, he goes, you're terminated. <laughs> and, then, and then follows it up with, now get to the chopper. <laughs> they have, they nice. have a helicopter waiting instead of a taxi. <laughs> you won't be back. <laughs> you, you won't be back would have been good i like that terminate is really nice i, I, like I, that one. I can't i can't ex- that, that's a nice touch that's a nice touch yeah wait a second do they actually get in a chopper and fly away or something <laughs> is that part of it i haven't i haven't seen any further than that <laughs> i'm gonna make a wild assumption the answer is yes that's funny they make him get at the chopper and they drop him off on survivor or something <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, in the uh, in the in the episode, he he terminates Snooky. I've got no strong feelings either way. <laughs> yeah. I. Why would she even be on the show? I would be my guess. Would be a question. I thought it was Celebrity Apprentice. And why aren't you on there, Denzel? Maybe one day. Eh? My ultimate goal, really, Travis, is just to have enough money uh, to be able to pay Morgan Freeman to follow me around and narrate my life. You better hurry. He's getting old, brother. <laughs> Don't say that. 2016 was bad. We don't want any, uh, <laughs> don't want any follow-ons. We that don't is, want it being a warm-up act. That is true. Uh, hey, we should probably talk about some uh, some marketing technology. We should. We should. We have a great episode of... today. We have Katya Beauchamp, the CEO of Birchbox, with us later in the episode, which is a fascinating interview. That continues our Web, uh, web Summit series uh, from Lisbon. And we have a couple more in the tank on that one. You know, we have also next week we're going to have uh, Stefan Castriel. He's the CEO of Upwork, which is phenomenal, where they have just millions and millions of people that are doing freelance work and all these different companies that are that are that are utilizing that. They one company is using over ten thousand freelance consultants through Upwork, which which was completely fascinating. And then just to tease it just a little bit, we're gonna get there in a couple of weeks. In a couple of weeks, we have the utmost pleasure um, to interview none other than Hollywood star Joseph Gordon Levitt. 
and Joseph joins us because, uh, of course, he and his um, his brother um, originally started up this site called uh, Hit Record or Hit Record. Um, you can pronounce it both ways officially, and uh, it's grown to half a million people, half a million users. Um, it's a fantastic community, and we get into exactly how he's managed to create that, grow it. What was interesting is uh, the way that it's grown and the results of that. And uh, we really can't wait to get into that with you. You know what? It wasn't that unnerving, but it was interesting. That, that was the very first time that that Stuart and I, in the same room, interviewed a guest at the same time, uh, right? So that that was awesome. It came out great. That was completely yeah. fascinating. And then we went on to do the, the, the live one with the CEO of Imager. That was awesome. But the very first one that we did was, oh, here's a Hollywood celebrity, you guys. Good luck uh, doing some interviews in person. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's great fun. And uh, awesome. we even had a little sing-song with him as well. We did. So. We did have a sing-song. That was hilarious. That's <laughs> Good stuff. So, look, um, we've got some news. You know, you're going to see this a lot in 2017. I mean, we've, we've been talking about how to make sure we get in front of the people that are basically using smartphones all the time because uh, as we found out in the in the research towards the end of last year it's true basically on mass depending on the age group it's between you know 87 and 91 percent of people agree that they have their smartphone within arm's reach 24 hours a day seven days a week we are glued to these things so we talked about that a lot in 2016 2017 we're going to augment that with a couple of additional topics, um, one of those being artificial intelligence, because it's going to completely change the way uh, that we do marketing in 2017. And uh, yesterday, you know, the first real sort of brand new product that is driven by artificial intelligence and um, machine learning in the marketing sphere, um, and that's from Follow Analytics. They, they brought out their mobile optimization suite, so it's AI and mobile. It's kind of you know, the perfect storm for us mm -hmm, on this show. Mm -hmm. What it does, um, Travis, you've, you've heard of conversion rate optimization and split testing, right? Absolutely. I, I got I got some crow skills. We should put that on your bio. Oh, I should. I'm going to optimize some conversion. I'll tell you what we should do. We should do a remake of The Crow, but drop the W and just make it a marketing technology film. <laughs> yes, we should. And it could star Talia Wolf. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> she was on the episode 20-something, I believe. Yeah, go back and check that out. That was a fantastic episode. The problem with split testing is regular split testing, right? Is You, you do your split test, and like 52% you know, like this version, and uh, the rest like the other version. So you then serve the winning one to everybody. But the fact is that was almost a 50-50 split, right? Mm -hmm. It's a very generalist way of doing split testing it means that almost half of your audience is getting a, a suboptimal experience. And yet we do this all the time. It's, generalization is the, is the enemy of the marketer um, in the 21st century, especially in 2017. So what these guys have figured out is how to use machine learning to basically use artificial intelligence to segment all of your audiences down and understand all of their little traits and everything, and then do split tests with content changes to each of those segments so that the winning content only goes to the segment that is likely to respond to it in the first place. And over time, it just keeps on getting better and better because of machine learning. So not only do you get split testing, you get personalization to segments of your audience because each one is getting different content based on their relationship with you. What do you think of that? That's, it's completely fascinating. And then if you ask people, 
uh, the digital natives, 77.5% of them, they want a personalized experience. What works better? You sending out a mass blast email to everybody that says the exact same thing, or you actually doing some research on each person before you send them an email, right? The same thing happens whenever you're trying to, you know, when you're doing A-B testing or split testing on your, your content and you're trying to drive people down the funnel. The follow analytics tool is going to allow all these different various areas of optimization so you can that you're going to allow to, allow us to get the most out of the iterating and improving and measuring the success of all your different changes on websites or in-app messages or push notifications or communications and it's going to automatically do that that's completely fascinating i think that that something like that pertaining to ai and machine learning this stuff's getting really smart it's going to put some people out of business and it's going to <laughs> I'm not put some people out of business it's going to so people are going to have to up-level their skills to stay relevant because technology is getting really advanced. And some of the stuff that was done manually is going to be uh, done with machine learning and AI. And you're going to have to keep up-leveling your skills because some of these technologies are going to make some of those positions irrelevant over time. Yeah, and I spoke to the, uh, uh, the CEO and founder of Follow Analytics. And, you know, I asked that question. I mean, what... What is going to happen with AI and machine learning? Why is it going to be important for marketers in, in 2017? And you know, he said really clearly, you know, AI and machine learning will help us reach the holy grail for any marketer, which is the self-driving campaign, mm-hmm. which is actually the vision that he had when he started the company Follow Analytics in 2013, right? So right. you know, that's what we're going to see. We're going to see really smart stuff. We're going to see content that's automatically generated. It's generated for the right segment of customers. We're going to see accurate recommendations. We're going to see campaigns that are automatically created and hyper-personalized. You know, all of these things are absolutely possible. And uh, 2017 is going to be the time when that happens. So I think it's quite interesting, right? Because it, it means that we're potentially going to see a shift away from marketers having to worry too much about the technology side of it. And being able to get back to what marketers were actually really good at in the first place, which is creative messaging and content. Right. Yeah, that's fascinating. But, Maybe we get Samir right? on the uh, podcast one of these days because that's going to redefine marketing in a lot of ways. Glad you had a great conversation with him. Is he the guy who said you sounded like Denzel? No. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you're, you're right about research. Research is important. As I point out on my Twitter every single week, uh, every single week I like to put out a tweet that tells you what off-topic PR pitches I got because, I'll be honest, it takes approximately five seconds of research to know what I write about. And uh, the people that don't do that research, they they get immortalized in my Twitter feed. Um, and this week's off to- off-topic PR pitches included a, uh, a selfie stick, a DNA testing solution, and uh, here's, the, here's the one that really blew my mind, Travis. Accelerated breeding through genomic analysis. I thought that was part of the beat that you write about, didn't you? <laughs> You're big on <laughs> genomes, brother. What? Yeah, you, you are I mean, 147 years old, so you figured something out. It was literally a story about how to breed cows faster so that you can turn them into burgers. I'm not even joking. <laughs> I got so many of those irrelevant emails pertaining to CES. I think I'm going to wait to register for CES next year, like until like a couple weeks before, because I believe over 2,000 emails. And then the final week prior to, man, it was just pounding you every day with like, here's some more emails about stuff that's completely irrelevant to the things that you cover, Travis. But here, have this pitch anyway. Martech Today had an article out. And, and it, yeah, it's another prediction article. It was four trends that will reshape marketing in 2017. But actually, I thought it was a pretty smart one. 
right out of the box, they said that chatbots and artificial intelligence are going to be important for this year. I think there's a, another new chatbot out. Um, so Nordstrom came out on Facebook Messenger and Kick. What do you think about Nordstrom coming out on Kick, by the way? Is that the right demographic? I mean, I'm sure they've done their research, but Kick for me um, seems um, super teen focused, right? Yeah, Kick is an interesting one. I think that it is more. My kids love it, right? My son, he is a big fan of Kick. His gamer buddies all use Kick. Now, do older demographics who spend lots of money on Nordstrom use Kick? Eh. Don't know. I mean, it's it's an interesting one. I know Sephora was on Kick, but the problem is, don't know the results of that. So mm-hmm. you know, they're not letting anybody know um, at the moment unless I've missed it what they're actually getting from it. But Mall of America have announced a chatbot um, that's using IBM Watson. And it's basically like a, it's a mobile concierge, you know, help you mm-hmm. get around the mall. And let's face it, everyone needs help getting around the Mall of America. It takes about a week to walk around it. When the iPhone first came out, I was like, man, you know what? If malls could figure this out, if I could go in a mall with my smartphone and say, oh, go into the gap and, you know, get X percentage off of khakis, which I wouldn't go by. And now with beacons and chatbots, they can do that. Location-based targeting is pretty fascinating. So now, 10 years after the fact, here we are. Pretty good stuff. That's cool. Yeah, and, and the other area that AI is going to um, affect is a, is an area that, uh, again, marketers are going to have to really keep an eye on for 2017, which is video. Video, uh, according to Cisco, is going to make up 82% of all consumer internet traffic by 2020, which is up from 70% in 2015. Mm-hmm. And where artificial intelligence is going to come into that is that you're going to see personalized video, personalized live stream as well, mm-hmm. um, eventually. I know that sounds crazy, but that will happen. And that's because of machine learning, artificial intelligence, um, and the ability to now real-time update video with personalized data and information, personalized advertising baked into the video. You're going to see all of this, uh, and it's going to happen this year. Yeah, it's some fascinating um, stuff happening with video, especially with you know all of the the 360 cameras that you know were coming out in CES, the capabilities of doing live streaming on that, the adding the layers of data on top of that. I saw another startup recently that is putting a layer on top of videos that allows you to click on it. Maybe you're watching an, an episode. Back in the day, this is when I first thought, I think probably about 15 years ago, of actually thinking about it and now seeing that it's happening. Like, I was watching an episode of Friends, and I was like, oh, man, Joey's wearing a really cool jacket right there. I wonder what that jacket is. And I was like, there's literally no way to know what that jacket is. But now, especially with all these, you know, Snapchat influencers and YouTube stars and blah, 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 they're wearing all this stuff, and so they're shouting out what they're wearing. But the ability to do... AI machine learning on top of these videos to determine what those items are so you can just click it and buy it. So there's a startup already doing it, working on it right now. Yeah, absolutely. No, yeah. video is going to be hugely important. All of this means, and, and this is this is good news for everyone, potentially, right? Because there's a caveat on what I'm going to be about to say. It's good news for everybody except those that it's not. <laughs> there's there's just, one, just one caveat. The good news here is that all of this technology means that we should be able to get away from that thing where we're going after as many clicks and views as we can possibly get our hands on, where we're going after as many users in a user acquisition space as we're going you know, possibly go after. We get away from that, and instead, we only serve relevant videos at the right time to the right person. We only serve relevant ads to the right time to the right person, relevant marketing and messaging to the right 
person at the right time. It means that consumers will be happier because they're not getting barraged with so much. They actually just get the stuff around the time they want to buy it. So it's useful to them. The problem here, and here's the caveat, CEOs and CFOs need to wake up and smell the Java on this because if they continue to put the CMO under pressure to just turn in uh, the numbers, the CMO will continue to go for lowest common denominator marketing and just go for volume, right? We've, we've got to educate the board level to let the marketing uh, you know, heads basically try some of this stuff out in terms of real good quality targeting and see the increase in lifetime value that that produces. Absolutely. Um, if we don't, we're just going to end up you know, continually in this mill where we're just going after volume all the time because we know it works. Yeah, and a lot of a lot of CMOs. I mean, you know, now they have more budget than any other department, right? The more more money for technologies because back in the day you had to buy all these servers and all this other stuff, and now it's all in the cloud and all these different technologies. Pretty fascinating, especially when you've seen what's happened over the last ten years. And I do want to bring this up because on Monday, January 9th, that was the 10th anniversary of the iPhone being released for the very first time, uh, the debut of that, which was which was pretty fascinating. So amazing what's happened in the last 10 years. Um, so one of the things that's happened in the last 10 years is that uh, we've changed the way that we buy things. And instead of walking to a shop and uh, getting something or instead of even just going online and buying something, uh, we've started putting our trust in all of these uh, subscription boxes where we subscribe and uh, sometimes we know what's going to turn up a lot of times we don't it's uh, it's a mystery it's a surprise and that's part of the fun one of the pioneers of that subscription box service katia beauchamp and she joins us now for a fantastic guest interview should we get into it travis let's go we got a great treat for us today we have a brilliant entrepreneur with us she is the ceo of birchbox we have katia beauchamp Katya, how are you doing today? I'm so excited. Yes. What time is it? Oh, does it matter? You it can't do matter. that. You can't do that. You have to, to avoid jet lag. There are lots of That's right. It is lots. 11 a.m. Which yeah. is, I mean, no one should be tired at this hour. There are, there are lots of rules to avoid yes. jet lag, right? Anybody who claims it's just like one trick has not got it right. And one day I will write the book on this because I actually avoid jet lag completely. I, I, I do about 72,000 miles a, a year. Oh my gosh. And I completely avoid jet lag. And I will teach everybody how to do this one day. Let's do this but now. But number one, it's, okay, okay, it's, it's the right time, wherever you are. Yes. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Yes. I'm ready to go. And it's, it's the right time now to just like get into some questions and understand, like, do you see what, that was a segue. That was really good. Yeah. That it was felt really supernatural. Good. It's, it's was. fantastic. I really should be a radio DJ. So catchy. I mean, Birchbox has been an amazing success. And, you know, one of the things we like to talk about on VB Engage is just, you know, how people build these new communities and how you get engagement with a brand new audience and build that up. I mean, tell us a little bit about the history of it, how it got started and how you got so many people. Because you've got, what, a million <laughs> subscribers? Yeah, now? so we have over 4 million customers and yeah, over a million of them are subscribers, but we also have people who just shop um, in the in the e-commerce part of a business. When we started Birchbox, um, my co-founder and I were in business school and we saw a huge opportunity to take the beauty industry online. That was the big insight. It was less than 5% of purchases for beauty were online and there was no change. So everybody had a very low penetration, every category, but all of them were hockey stick growth already in 2009 and beauty was not. And we said, that's crazy. Someone's going to figure this out because there are billions of dollars at stake. And we got really excited about it. But we, when we designed the user experience, 
we really came at it from a customer point of view and from our perspective. We thought beauty is overwhelming. There's new products that come to market every minute. There's actually hundreds of thousands a year. How does the average customer navigate it? And how can we build a company that gives the internet the potential of selling you beauty products by overcoming what the internet has historically been bad at, but for the first time ever leveraging what the internet is great at. So our vision was to take the world of beauty, obviously curate it from a merchandise point of view, but then from an internet point of view, personalize it for you, and then give you a cadence that felt really delightful instead of overwhelming. So the vision from day one was subscription plus content, which we create, but also the users create, plus e-commerce, try, learn, buy. And we were so excited and passionate. There was a ton of skepticism about whether customers would ever pay for samples because that had never been done. But when we launched, short of sounding ridiculous, the business went viral. Basically, the box landed. We like to say little pink bombs dropped. And people started talking about it very passionately, both online and IRL. Um, And IRL was very powerful too, but there was a huge impact from people talking about it. And then some of those people had big followings. Um, They had just signed up naturally. We didn't go and get them. And I think what happened was we hit on this emotional experience for a lot of women where they felt frustrated. Um, They were doing the same thing for decades. These are very educated women, very smart women, um, women who do not, you know, just do things kind of half-ass. And they, for the first time, found something that made them feel like it really acknowledged their experience in beauty. And it was the intersection of delight and effective. And they got it immediately. We had no idea. So we hit our five-year business plan in seven months. There's a lot of, like, crying on that journey because (laughs) when you grow grow that quickly, um, you definitely didn't plan for it. You know, you definitely didn't have the team and the resources and... That's incredible. That's incredible. So you 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 were one of the one of the, the sort of the pioneers really in the in the subscription box, right? I mean, we were right. Yeah, we were that one. So I think that, that model's awesome. So my son, he's a big fan of the loot crate every month, right? Cool. And my daughter, she's eleven, so I got her this the Tinker Crate, mm-hmm. which is like the STEM, mm-hmm. you know. To, so we're always building something I love that. each month. So it's like, so I want I want to in, instill that. And so it's awesome. So. When you guys when you guys came up with this, you said you were in business school. Yeah. At Harvard. Yeah. Yeah, that's so, that's, so, that's so fascinating to be able to go. You're checking out the data. And you said, look at this. There's a potential idea here. We said the market is super inefficient right now for the beauty industry. They're spending billions of dollars to yell louder than the next competitor hey. for customer acquisition. Customers are spending billions of dollars on product that lives under their sink because they're dissatisfied. And we said we're going to make the market more efficient. We're going to make sure that when you deploy your capital, I mean, this was a total business school nerd. You love where you deploy it. You use it. Like, eliminate waste of money, eliminate waste of garbage. And we're going to make sure the beauty industry can take its asset, which is the product, and utilize that for customer acquisition because the product sampling was used, but it was used for loyalty, not for a new customer acquisition. It was used as a gift at the transaction. And we said, if the number one reason, and they told us as the beauty industry, if the number one reason someone buys a product is trial, well then trial should be a core part of customer acquisition, targeted trial. Um, So that was, you know, how we saw it and we got really excited and nerded out on the business side and then a little bit more emotional when customers talk to us. That's great. Did did they supply 
the all the trials for free yeah, at first? Absolutely. Are they still supporting all the trials for free? A lot of them, yeah. So it really changed when the market got more competitive and different business models are out there now. Birchbox is the only one which is really about try, learn, and buy. And so we have a dual um, revenue stream and that means that we have a relationship with the brands where we place a purchase order for the full size. So that has really helped us keep the cost down and really low for the box. But in some cases we might contribute because a lot of brands are small and they can't make millions of samples tomorrow and then we get a good deal on the full size. So that's really interesting. I mean, that's, that's an interesting engagement play versus the traditional advertising route that the rest of the beauty industry has gone down. Right. Because the traditional advertising route for the beauty industry has been to make up words that don't exist and give you stats that aren't irrelevant. So, you know, uh, the, the average the average thing I see, are, you know, 75% of women say it makes their hair sleeker. And you look at the bottom, and in like six point text, it says 75% of 26 women we found on the street, <laughs> right? It's hardly statistically significant right. Uh, right. among 100 million right. women. Right? Whereas on Birchbox, you can click, like when we sample at such scale, you can get 10,000 reviews of our product, and then you can filter by like hair right. type. So you can filter just by who you are and say, I want to see how people reviewed it who have thin hair that is wavy. Yeah. And so, so that gives you like data. All of that is really just increasing engagement. That, that sort of ability to, to trial, ability to feedback, everything. That's, that's all creating engagement. It's all Absolutely. adding to the community. Tell us a little bit more about, because um, a lot of your traffic uh, you know, is coming from mobile. And of course, we love mobile here on VB Engage. Yeah. Realistically, uh, you know, I think 70% of your traffic is going through mobile. Over what that. have you had to do differently um, to make sure that mobile is, is really, really perfect? It's a great experience because it's, it's a very different device. It's a very personal device. It's a small screen. You don't yeah. have a lot of real estate. How does that work for you? I mean, look. We didn't have to do a lot to get people to use mobile. I think you guys know that's the native place people are. Our learning and the way that you think about mobile has changed dramatically since we launched. I mean, when we were two years in, which was like definitely at least a year late, we were like, let's develop a native app. And that was really critical then to get people to have a great responsive user experience in mobile now today with actual mobile web being able to deliver on that experience and speed, that has changed everything for us and for the potential. Um, we just replatformed our entire mobile web so you can you know check us out now. If you visit Birchbox on mobile web, that's actually the best user experience that exists for Birchbox right now. And of course we're working on all of them, but we decided this was what we wanted to get out first. And we already see, and that just deploy it's finished deploying like this week. But that speed and that responsiveness and the user experience being thoughtful around that small screen is really interesting. Where I have huge questions, and I'm sure you guys are seeing this too, is what's gonna happen now with app? Because I think that that is it's really changed. When we launched feature parity was everything between app, between mobile web, and between desktop. People were still talking about launching tabloid apps when we were doing ours. So things, the world has changed so quickly. Um, and I think that mobile apps have now gone from being a great way to do a faster transaction that you could do on mobile web, maybe even on desktop. And now it seems to be the place where your most loyal customers kind of hold up their badge of loyalty and they want to visit you so frequent that they've you know downloaded a bookmark um, to do so and thinking about what that means if they're going to really engage every day is something that we never consider you know we hadn't yeah. considered that initially in our app so that's something that we're thinking about now is what could that be should we be focusing on evolving that or is it all going to be basically mobile web i just did a, a study 
uh, around chatbots. Overwhelmingly, the primary uh, messaging app in use in the United States is uh, Facebook Messenger. Right. Um, like 75% is the primary messaging. Right. Yeah, most people have four or five and primary talk, talk to different over contexts text? a different way. Uh, no, just primary in terms of the app right, that they're okay. using. So okay. Facebook Messenger versus like iMessage, Skype, sure. you know, so on and so forth. Um, so Facebook Messenger has become really important in the United States for a lot of people. Obviously, everyone's developing chatbots, but one of the things I noticed in the data is that when it comes to how would you like to engage with the brand, overwhelmingly, people were saying app, and then very, very much smaller, um, you know, sort of like 4x smaller uh, mobile web, and even smaller than that, like 13% said uh, use the chatbot as the primary engagement. So, you know, apps are still incredibly powerful in that respect. I think that we just have to reimagine them, right? If, if you think of an app now as your loyalty program, for lack of a better word, they could be extremely distinct from your mobile web experience, from your desktop experience. You could really play there. You could treat the app like the playground for people who know you best, where you don't have to constantly say, this is who we are, we want to be for the beauty majority, we want to make beauty discovery and shopping wonderful for average women. <laughs> you know, we don't have to keep saying that because they're like, we get it. We, right. We're to use it, you know, and what could we do now that we're in a close relationship and get you closer? Because I do think that is what mobile is allowing us to do. We're with you everywhere. And what all we want is to go steady, right? right? Like that's what we want with all of our customers. We want you to choose us to shop for beauty. And how can we use the fact that you're so engaged that you download our app as a way of cementing our relationship versus just giving you the ability to shop? Yeah. You know. Yeah, that's great. So, I mean, I think you hit a chord when you're like, all right, the, the beauty industry is huge. And then you factor in how much that women, you know, buy online. I want to preface that or I want to ask the question about So I noticed that you're not only doing products for women, yeah. right? You're, you're, you're starting to do some products for men. Yes. How many products overall do you have? And then how many for for men and women, how's that working? Well, so men, um, we just saw an opportunity that we were not expecting because we were obviously tapped into a huge female audience and we were thinking, how can we do more for women initially? But men started coming to us and women representing men said, you know, the guy in my life is just crowding around me when I open this box and taking stuff that are unisex. And we were just like, really? So we tested it. Men, you know, responded very positively to the test. So we launched it. And today we have the best men's grooming catalog that exists on the internet. I mean, there's nobody that has better product curated and a better assortment of breath than us, but it's still curated. I say that like fully sure that that is the best. So it's a great place for men who want to step it up and are just getting comfortable. And then the interesting thing about men, though, is that it's different from women. Whereas women's was a very crowded market, even when we launched, we had to say, you know, we think there's a better way. And then eventually we realized, wow, most women agree that the current way is not their way because most women are passionate about beauty. And so therefore, they're kind of this disenfranchised group of shoppers that are still spending money but are no one's priority. Now, if you take that a level back and you say, who's really no one's priority in the beauty industry? Men, like, win, right? Like, no one's paid attention to that consumer. Um, it's just starting to get, you know, traction. So it's a small base, but like rapid, massive growth. And we said, we need to, we need to be there. Um, and so, yeah, we sell a lot of men's subscriptions. But what we kind sell, of products? Everything to 
groomify yourself head to toe. So um, one of our best sellers is a talcum powder for your special parts. Oh, right, right. Um, and But we also sell a ton of stuff to shave or treat your beard. Nice um, beard oil. Nice. Beard oil, absolutely. But we know who you are. So if you if you subscribe to Birchbox Man, we know if you don't have hair, for example, or if you have a beard, if you're someone who shaves or doesn't, like that's a whole core part of the experiences. Right. You're not going to be sent random stuff that you would never use. So Guys still buy cologne, by the way. We didn't even talk about true. that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, it doesn't. I'll wear a different one depending on where I've, whether I've got my Louboutins on that day or not. So, um, <laughs> when it comes to what's next, I mean, you've already got uh, you know physical store locations as well. You're doing ad hoc sales as yeah. well as subscriptions. You've got the app. You've got the mobile web. That's a lot of channels. It's uh, two different revenue streams, as you said. Yeah. Um, plus, you know, if we take it all into account, I mean, thinking from a, a marketer's standpoint for a second, thinking sort of tactically, uh, you know, our, our listeners love to. Sort of take something away and say, right, I can, I could try that. You know, how are you bringing that all together? So many different channels, so many different uh, revenue opportunities, yeah. and understanding things like online, online to offline attribution, how mobile plays into it. You know, does mobile assist with the, uh, the, the retail sale? How do you measure that? Yes. Yeah, all of those things. Tell us a little bit more about Gosh. that. And, if and somebody has an attribution model that they love, could you please send it to us? <laughs> <laughs> send it to me. It's, it's, honestly, it's tough to understand the interplay of everything. The only way that we've been able to deeply understand it is by testing and trying to say, what does it really take to get someone to engage with you? Here are all the things that we're doing. And yeah, when you start your company, you gotta do everything and that really helped us. I'm glad we did that. But in order to understand the value of it, we've had to turn things off and be like, okay, this is the value of creating our own um, proprietary content. You know, So let's turn it back up to this volume because this is the right volume of us doing it versus just promoting what other people are saying. Um, so that has been our best way of understanding the interplay between being in all of these different channels and being a part of so many conversations is turning them a lot on and then off and then back on and off and then back on. And yeah, then we use attribution models from different agencies that we work with and then use our own data and analytics team to try to get a level deeper and say, how are these things building on themselves such that the customer acquisition isn't just attributed to the last click, which everybody knows is such a fallacy. Yes. Um, so if you if you focus on last click, you're just gonna always get the wrong answer. Um, so how do we get back to where the, where did the intent start? Where did the intent build? And then capturing the intent, awesome. Like that's you know what you gotta do, but where it started and where it built and how much dollars and energy you put in that stage is the critical part because capturing it is kind of the simple part. Yeah. Once you have it. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Um so catchy look we could talk about this for hours, but we can't because we always have a time limit at BB Engage. <laughs> um it's been awesome having you on BB Engage today. Thank you so so much. Had so much fun. Thank really you guys. Appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you. What an excellent, excellent interview. Thank you so much to Katya Beauchamp for joining us in Lisbon at Web Summit. Sat down with that great interview. Very cool how she you know, had the foresight and the intuition to say, hey, let's create this subscription model where people get beauty stuff every month. Great, great episode. Uh, last week, if you missed it, that was our first episode of 2017. We hit it off with a bang with Mr. Robert Scoble, and we talked about VR and AR. He came to that interview rocking his HoloLens, which was pretty awesome. Next week, we have the CEO of Upwork on, Stefan Casriel, and we talk about outsourcing and the future economy where, you know, everybody's got a side hustle, and so he's got a platform 
for that. If you enjoyed the show, uh, make sure you give us a thumbs up, share it, listen to it, review it, all that good stuff. Uh, it really, really warms Stuart's heart when you do that. And he, he is in Tunbridge, UK, and he has sometimes a cold, cold, cold heart. So thank you so much for tuning in to episode 35. For Travis Wright, goodbye. And for Stuart Rogers, it's a bye. We'll see you guys next week. <laughs>